Mike, turn your games down. Hi, welcome to the comic episode of Games My Mom Found. I am Mike Hubbard, and who's reliving their secret history with me tonight? A Bernal Island scientist, Red Fox. <laughs> welcome back. And we are here for another Turtles episode, another Turtles comic episode. Um, if you have been following along what we are doing, we are going through the entire TMT series slowly. Well, very slowly, but it picked up. So, <laughs> oh, if you haven't listened to it, there's uh, three other ones for you to go check out. Uh, the comics to go that you should go listen to. Uh, TMT Shadows of the Path, Comic 28, and then, which is the, also TMT Crane War, which is not published at the time that we're doing this. So, but it will be there, so go find that. And there's also one where we did the IDW Origin which is a long time ago, Comic 19. So that way you can get all caught up with this if you're following along, or if you read the series, then it doesn't matter. That's where you can follow along with us. And we're this time we're here to cover the two villain micro-series, Krang and Baxter, Secret History of the Foot, and then we're going to do issue 21 of the main series. So there will be spoilers, something that came out years ago at this point. So, <laughs> so one thing I find interesting is the villain micro-series is just, you know, again, like comics, all comics do. They have their, their random spinoffs that make you spend more money that month. And they're just little one-shots that just are just cool. Like the Krang one. I, if you would have told me that you're going to enjoy this, I've been like, <laughs> this is Krang. I, don't, I could give a shit about Krang. But I'm on board. <laughs> but no, I mean, they, they dig into his history that I don't think people were really clamoring for, for the most part, or even expected what his history would have been. No. But it does get rather interesting. I mean, and it also takes place right after the Krang War and comic story arc ended, where you have them talking about how one of the Utron is dead, somebody stole the, a ninja stole the ooze, and you have one of the rock soldiers like, oh, I'll go deliver the news to Krang. And you have Krang in a bathtub, <laughs> which I found funny. Full of? Ooze. Yep. <sighs> so he's just, and then he gets all mad when the guy offers. This whole issue is in between, like, of him retelling his origin, essentially, in between the events of, <laughs> The guy delivering him the bad news, the rock soldier, and before him deciding that, hmm, I don't like that you try to pick me up without my permission. That's what this whole issue takes place during. <laughs> Krang is perpetually aggressive, even in his most relaxed state. <laughs> you know, I didn't think I wanted a Krang backstory because I'm like, I don't care. But I found out I, I, I care. <laughs> yeah, that makes it makes you care. <laughs> I mean, like you, the first thing you have is you have Krang telling the story where he's they have some serve, you know, they have servants and everything because they're dictators and warlords and he won't even get up and he's playing video games or had different you're watching tv or something different screens and he's being all lazy and then his father comes in and yells at him and it's just funny <laughs> i don't know it worked out I, you'll see as the series goes along too just like because i'm like the last one of the last uh shows we did you mentioned like how the utroms are rather aggressive and just all warlords and things like that but you get to see the different personalities and, and motivations behind certain utroms but as we go along, like even his father, his father, Krang, and some other ones in the future are just extremely aggressive. I don't know if that's, a, <laughs> you know, maybe it's just a cultural thing with the Utrams or it's just genetically in some of them. I don't know. But they get way overboard with that. <laughs> it's a little guy complex. And maybe yes. that's what it is. I mean, but they're, I mean, they're short guys, but <laughs> little pink things that apparently want to murder everybody. Yeah, I, maybe it's because they look like just a brain with a face on it. They think they're <laughs> superior to every other race. I don't know. It, it is interesting. That is for sure. Like this little part. Oh, and one of the soldiers that's with the emperor, is that what becomes the Rockman eventually then? Because uh, you yeah. said, okay, because not all the Rockmen were human, right? 
or none of them were. Yeah, I, don't, I don't. I don't. As you can see, like they're kind of like a yellowish color or whatnot. Yeah. So they're not. I don't think they're human. Like even when I looked it up, it it never said anything about them ever being once human. But they the, they didn't have the rock skin. I guess. Okay. I was curious. All right. No, it's, it's, it's good. And I mean, just everything with that, like this whole issue talks about how you have this, some, somebody that was a political prisoner that hates Krang has now essentially waged war against Krang. Cause I'm sure that's going to mm-hmm. end well for everybody involved. And <laughs> that's what this whole I mean issue is about essentially is that him waging war against this, this character and, and prison and talks about how this guy took over the prison planet. He, you know, and there, and, the emperor is upset, so he's going to send his best men, best men, you know, quotations there, to go in there and execute this guy. And they're going to go in sneakily. They're going to land in the swamp that he'll never expect. Possibly. Well, the thing of this, because Krang wasn't supposed to be a part of this mission. His father didn't want him involved at all because he's just some spoiled kid <laughs> with, with no discipline, no motivation, no drive. And then Krang somehow, I guess, just tired of being insulted and wants to prove himself takes it in his own hands to sit there and just become the most one of the most badass utrons ever which is, is a credit to to who he ends up becoming because that yeah. takes a lot he he know he knew he could have died on the like just even going and nobody would have known yeah and you thought for sure he was going to i mean i did yeah. <laughs> personally i'm like well, that's where this is going but it's it's cool and one of the utram again has the the suit he has has the little you know, tuning fork of the head. It reminds me of the old Krang from 87 cartoon. I love it. I love that. They love throwbacks, yeah, don't back. they? In this. Mm-hmm. And again, you get introduced to a, a new Utron that has like a, you know, he looks like he has his, you know, missing an eye. Maybe his eye got shot out by a revolver or something. You never know, you know? And <laughs> he's got an eye <laughs> He's got yeah, an eye sure. patch on it. And like, Maybe I thought, okay, this is going to be a character. Thing. Like, you know, he's going to be around. And then within like a page of seeing him, you see him step on a mine and get his ass blown up and killed. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <sighs> it was it was not what I expected. And like it gets really entertaining. You have you find out that the the, the rebels essentially knew exactly what he was going to do, so they mined the area and they're just waiting for him to arrive. And they they just blow up everybody but Krang because Krang hid I think he hid and played dead essentially. Well like like just, we see very shortly after this in a few issues, uh the writers t- have tend tend to like bring up how well enemies, long term enemies, begin to know each other's tactics. I mean, as we oh, see yes. with, we'll see with Shredder and Splinter and all that kind of stuff. I mean, so same with the Utrons here. Yeah, and it, I I love there's there's one panel that shows him about to step on the on one of the Utrons, and the next panel is the guy just has the word splat, splat <laughs> in pink. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, he stepped on them all right. <laughs> And then Krang just escapes as his little his little pink blob self goes running off. And like you have where he you know starts to really realize that he has to be strong or he's going to die. And he ends up you see like a bunch of different panels of him trying to hunt and make his own spear and make a tent. And I mean, like oh. you said before, with the eye patch, this guy's going full snake eater here. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it. Because <laughs> you do see him eating some kind of snake like thing, like some kind of tentacle grabs him. And then he kills it, and then you, I don't know what the hell it was or what's going on, but you do see him yeah. biting a tentacle and stabbing it with his little spear. And you see him cooking rats, which is also kind of funny. They look like rats. But. Whatever alien rat that is. But yeah. he's, he, you know, you got to think, like, that's, again, to his credit, that maybe at most growing up in the Empire, he could have had some type of survival training as a kid, but 
how much practical experience has he realistically probably had? He has no life experience whatsoever, it seems. And he's out here owning his environment. Yeah, I would say he probably had like pretty much nothing. Yeah. You know, and it's cool to see. And then it, it leads up because like in the first part of this, he gets attacked by like this, this lizard like thing. And then you see him attack the lizard with a net and pretty much capture it and break it down to his rule, which I, I thought was very interesting. The only thing I didn't understand in this part is, is he <laughs> you have a part where he has a fire spear. Like, did he shove that into the lizard's mouth? I was just curious about that. A fire spear? Let me see here. Yeah, because look at the fire spear. The next panel is you see the thing shoot like fire out of its mouth. And I'm like, you just shove it down. Like, hey, you're going to follow what I tell you to do or else. Oh, I don't know. That's how I took it. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that's how it registered to me. It looks like he's threatening him with it, but I I can't can't tell. And then he he gets the dinosaur lizard thing. He goes all the way up to climbs up the tower to sneak up on the on the enemy the leader of this rebellion and he does it in a very interesting way i felt like instead of just he's like i don't want to kill him without him knowing i'm gonna tell him i'm coming which to me seems stupid but hey <laughs> each their own i guess <laughs> you know i like, guess so maybe you don't want to broadcast your enemy that you're gonna murder them but hey what do i know <laughs> it, it's cool i mean it worked out in his favor because by him threatening him the lizard then spits blinds the leader and he chokes him out and stabs him and it kills him. They worked in his favor. Yeah, and gains a, a new addition to the Empire, to his army. And because he did that, they all side with him. They're like, oh, yep, we're on, we follow whoever is the strongest, so <laughs> we're on your side, buddy. Which I, again, I, I really liked in this. I thought that was a good little, like, it shows you how he gets, you know, that army to join him. It shows him where some people didn't want to join him, some did. It shows him just murdering people, and all of a sudden now he's in a power suit again. And... The guy that he kills, that was just a regular guy, right? It wasn't an Utram then? You talking about Traxxas? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's not Utram. Okay. I didn't think he was, but I was just wondering for a second, so I wanted to ask. Okay, and then after that, you see the Emperor finally comes, and the Emperor again has the one that looks like Krang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has a whole scene where he, you know, he finally starting to believe in Krang for the first time, and Krang has an army... Of the, of the people in the prison that he's delivering him because they follow the whole thing. If you kill the strongest, we follow you, which is cool. Made sense. And the last uh, part of it is you have Crane talking about how, well, I've been too soft. This guy thought he could pick me up without my permission. So he chokes his own bodyguard and kills. <laughs> One thing about the Utrams, and you'll see this as we go along to more, they're actually a very parasitic race. I mean, as you see with the lizard or anything else, like he commandeered that, it actually gets way more in depth than that later on and you'll see like as the krang storyline comes to be just how parasitic the race is to begin with i mean they they want to take over planets even so i mean imagine what they can do to to others okay i'm looking forward to seeing where that goes i'm i'm very interested in that (laughs) you'll see (laughs) and i do like how the last the last panel is krang sitting there with the guard is all bloody on the side you can just see it you can tell he murdered him you just see blood coming all his head is covered in blood and everything he's just dead yep. and i'm like okay i didn't expect this so it was Great good it was a good little it. one shot it was a good one shot that really fits into the canon and the chronological order of what we're reading which was i thought i felt impressive i did not I expect think that. it was much needed at this point you know like i guess let's really get to see how ruthless krang is because we already know he's he's a badass warlord but what caused that? What was the start of it? And then, and I like that. I like seeing that. And the next issue, 
uh, that I want that I want to talk about that comes in this is the Baxter, which is the second one shot of that series. And this was the one I read last because I had absolutely no interest in it. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of surprised me. So it starts off. You have what what's taking place with Baxter. He's on Bernal Island. He's working on the Technodrome. And you see him with a bunch of mousers that he has working for him or that he's redesigned mousers again. For some... He never says why, I guess, in this, but he has them again. The the mousers you're talking about. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mention this issue why he's remaking mousers again, but it's cool to see them again. I yeah, they're kind of iconic. I mean, they've they've been they were around since, what, the second Mirage issue or whatever that was. So, yeah, they've been around quite some time. I mean, they play a big part. I mean, they're in the 2003 cartoon in the first arc, I think, is the Mousers. I think they were, they're in this comic earlier, aren't they? Yeah, because Hobby uses them in one of the first arcs. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, they're around. And and this is, this is also a really good backstory for Baxter. Like, you have a small, a scene that plays out like three different times in this where you have him playing a chess against his dad, which could be just, a, you know, a, a simple father-son bonding moment, but the guy is an asshole, and you see him just yelling at, like, a looks like an eight-year-old or something. Like, really? You don't need to yell at your kid because you beat him in chess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I get that. He's trying to instill life lessons on him, but when you're that asshole-ish about it, like, he's putting an emotion into it, making it a hell of a lot worse, and then you see the yeah. resentment that, that Baxter has for his dad into adulthood and where that ends up leading. I mean, but all he had to do was just be like, you know, He's like, I almost won. He's, and, you know, he could have done it much nicer and not bang his. He bangs the board. And then even worse, he says, now nah, set up the board again after he just fucked everything up. <laughs> you know? I don't know, it was just, yeah, it's just a real asshole. You move. And I'm like, this guy is going to get and he gets what he He gets what he had coming, though. And as this issue progresses, like what he what he turned Baxter into. Yeah. Again, a kid is very, you know, someone that can be, you know, manipulated or inspired, depending on the person. And when you're when you're you know a parent figure, you're going to be someone that that child's going to look up to. And this guy doesn't understand that concept <laughs> at all. Not whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> as for as smart as his dad must have been, because his dad apparently is the guy that either inherited or started Stockton anyway. Yeah. And smart as he was, didn't get other humans very well. No. And I, I, I yeah, Baxter, Baxter is really, really young in that those uh, that first game they show. Yeah, I mean, it shows him later on as a teenager. And then an adult. And I like how there's, they do it three times throughout the issue. And the other part of the issue shows him <laughs> working on a technodrome and Krang. I hate the drawing of Krang in this. Uh, yelling at him. Yeah, and, not good. <laughs> okay, good. It wasn't just me. And no. you see Krang, or you see Baxter working on a fly, a fly droid. And this made me happy because for those that grew up in the 87 cartoon, Baxter turns into a fly. Yep. <laughs> Nice is that back. in the comics or is that straight 1987 cartoon bullshit? No, that, that was actually the, that was only the cartoon. Okay. He was also white in the cartoon. <laughs> so they did make yes. a few, a few changes. Uh, well, but wasn't he black in the, he's black in the comics though. In the Mirage yeah, comics. Yeah, the original Mirage, yes. Okay. And and I'm glad that, well, you know, the 2003 cartoon and everything else since then, they went back to how the character should be. Same, yeah. Not a geeky that. white man that... Mm-hmm. Turns into okay, but it was cool to see the fly thing because again, it's a throwback to '87, so I I enjoyed it. Yeah, and like, he gets mad at Crane gets mad at him. He's like, "Hey, I'm making this so this guy can you know work on can get in places that my workers can't," and he completely expend them, which <laughs> comes back around. And then you have another scene of him playing chess as a teenager where he gets mad at his father and his father's being an ass. And one of the big thing that kind of comes out throughout this issue is that Baxter realized what the Technodrome is for—that is going to just terraform the earth and destroy the earth, which 
doesn't work out for him because he'll be dead. You know. So I, I do like that. I do like that they. So Baxter is one of the smartest guys in the in this comic, right? So it makes sense that he's fully, fully aware of the consequences of what he's participating in. And this entire time that he's playing his role with Krang, this interdimensional warlord, he's scheming the entire time to see how he can benefit from it. Not save the world, but in a selfish manner, see how he at least can survive or overcome or be better for it. That's They just show and reflect his intelligence that way. I really like that a lot. So that was it was a really good way of doing it. And then yeah, you mean, have really like when it, when it comes to enemies in this entire series, he's one of the most cunning and conniving enemies that you will ever see. And this is a good reflection as to why. OK, I liked it. And I liked how the, the fly ends up like losing it essentially and attacks them <laughs> because they call the thing. They get mad. They, oh, they call it a thing and it gets mad. It's not thing, not expendable thing. And then they start to torture it with a collar that Baxter has on it, you know, control collar, which you see all the time in, in, in fiction. And the, the whole idea where it just breaks loose and then just starts beating the shit out of guards. And it's all part of Baxter's plan. You find out. I really right. And Baxter that. took, you think about it. Like he took a very big risk. Cause that thing is fat, extremely strong. If it would have caught his ass and he didn't get it to do what he does with his, his uh, tab. I mean, he could have ended it right there. So he took a very big chance. Yeah, but I think that was also, you, know, you also kind of see it was all part of his plan because he wanted to chase after him, get into a place where Krang wouldn't know because he has that tab the whole time with him. And that and then he uses it to use the fly to break computers and and cover his tracks while he is hacking into yep. what Krang's up to. Very smart, but it was a very, very <laughs> yeah. big like health risk, like physical health risk to himself. If that fly would have grabbed him like it, it could have been over for him. It was it was cool, though. And then, you know, he he has it killed. He uses it to attack the men and pretty much just sacrifices it against its will. And, you know, the whole time he's just trying to find a way to take over the Technodrome, I guess, is what he's up to. Think about how sad that is, too, though. Like they gave this this fly type of vulnerability and, and almost makes you feel sorry for it because yeah, I did. He made this creation. It's Frankenstein's monster kind of parody thing kind of deal. But. You know, you gotta you gotta feel kind of bad because now it's here fighting against its will. It wants to not be treated as an object, and it gets sacrificed. Like his short life, like like that of a fly, was practically meaningless to itself. It, it, he was purely abused and used by by Baxter. He's created just for that purpose. It was it was a very interesting way they did it. And then the the last scene is where you find out where he he figures out he needs a fugitoid to help him in order for him to finish what he's doing. And then he also talks about, you know, it shows him that he's making an army of aliens, too. So I thought that was cool. And then the last the last like page of it is you see him doing the chess game again with his father. But now he's much older. He's an adult. And that's where he it shows that he took over stock gen from his father. Yep. Blind Which again is kind of and his father's just angry and he's like checkmate, essentially. <laughs> it's interesting. I. I like because, again, he brought it on himself by being an asshole to his son all this time. And we just see, you know, pay a couple pages of it. But the idea is to think about it. He's been like this forever. As long as he can remember, he's been treating him like that. <clears throat> right. Oh, that was good. And then that and brings he us used to what his, what his dad taught him and took what he wanted. Yeah. And he sure did a good job with that. <laughs> it's a good job, dad, I guess. <laughs> uh, not really, but OK. <laughs> <laughs> and then we bring to the main uh, arc of what we're here to talk about, which I. The Secret History of the Foot Clan, number one through four. So I, 
I had seen this before on the on the list of the because a long time ago when we first started this, you sent us which I've kept the IDW chronologically TMTpedia of all the issues and what order you should read them in. That's what I still use. <laughs> and so I, like I saw this and I'm like, okay, you know, sure, I'll read it. I was at one point I was like, I just want to read the main stuff. I don't care about the side stuff, but. I didn't realize how much of this series is the side stuff really complements the main series. Like, I feel like this should have been main issue, but it wasn't because, well, you make more issues. No, I fully agree. I mean, not to mention just the quality of what we're what's about to come. But yeah, oh, yeah it was really good. And it explained so much stuff that you wouldn't that I was asked that I was curious about is in this little four issue miniseries. The art was a little different for the turtles. It looked much more serious than I liked. Yeah, more gritty, more rough. Yeah, it was um, still I, good. I did, and I enjoyed it. The the art style. Um, they did take a bit of liberties with the the turtles. I think the bandanas were a little over overboard, but everything else, like even the humans, like everything looked pretty good quality. I feel and like, and like when you really look at some of these flashbacks with Takeshi, that's his name, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Takeshi. so. When you look at Takeshi, like he looks kind of faded, looks kind of worn, like it's old kind of memory. It was like the way the comic starts off is you get introduced to some random samurai Takeshi that's being hunted by his daimo and has a whole army in front of him. And you just see him just murdering these people, which has always been one of like the great stories that people I, I know people talk about where back in the samurai era, if you had somebody who was skilled enough, they could take on a whole army just because of the way combat was at the time. I mean, in this, you you still see him getting injured. Like, in, you see different panels, like, you know, eventually as he's running out of people to kill, there's, you know, he's more of a target now. because There's less and less enemies around him Yeah. to get in the way. And you see him, I think, get his foot cut off, which I didn't. It took it wasn't until the second reading that I really realized they cut off his leg in one panel. I thought they just, yep. you know, cut it, but they literally cut it off. Yeah, like me down. <laughs> yeah. And he's still fighting. So he's and, still and his master them. wanted ordered him to die. Because he was too afraid of his power. That's how, I guess, much of a badass this guy was. That even his own master had to have him killed out of fear. It almost reminds me of like the Sith in Star Wars. Okay. It, it's I don't, I don't know how much you follow the lore, but some some of the listeners a might lot. get this. But when when um, Sidious decided to order uh, Asajj Ventress's death, this is the same scenario because he just feared her power. Oh, I know you're talking about Clone Wars. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> I, I watch all Clone Wars Rebels. I read a lot of Star Wars comics. So, yeah, I'm all on board. Yeah, with that. We, too. we might have something to talk about then. If that's the case, because I, <laughs> I do all that, buddy. So okay. we can talk about that after. <laughs> all right. I'm not as caught in the comics as I should be, but I read some. But oh, And then you so, see so. where Takeshi's supposed to die and some some random person saves him and brings him to a to a tower, to a castle. And then his foot is regrown or reattached or something. But you see the green ooze on his foot and you see the foot footprint, which, you know, on the ground, which I thought was really like, ah, foreshadowing. Man, you know, that that was so as simple as it is. It's pretty damn creative to me, because if like when you think about it, it's like, how can I make the foot symbol meaningful? How can I make it interesting? And they they figured it out. And and they used other elements throughout the series history, like the ooze. And it's regenerated uh, regenerative uh, properties to, to make the what would be the symbol of the foot plant. So, so creative and, and nice to see. It's it's so damn cool. And then it cuts back to present time where you have some professor just talking about the foot clan and how he found this, you know, rare book or old book and just kind of talking about everything. And you see April and Casey in the audience 
I really hate the way April is drawn in one of these panels. It looks like a, she looks like a frog lady for some reason. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's only in that one panel. Everything else is fine, but something to do with that one panel, she looks like she's part frog. It's a really weird angle. And you know what I've noticed? I don't know if it's just this issue, but I think it's this artist where he doesn't always draw, especially on April, like pupils. <laughs> like she looks like mm-hmm. she has these weird, like, demon like alien like eyes in some panels and it looks very off-putting yeah i wasn't i wasn't sure about it i was like uh i don't know about this <laughs> it really kind of turned me off for a second in this where i was like uh, am i gonna like this little mini series i don't like the art but and then you see the turtles and i didn't really like the design of the turtles either because they're much more their bandanas like are more fir- they look more <laughs> firmer and more violent in this just the way they're drawn drawing this yeah they look very aggressive i mean especially if you're you're getting to raf and, and leo but i guess the artist what he was trying to do is like i mean other than them having different shades of green which has always been a well not always been a thing with the turtles but ma- majority of their history they've had different shades of green but now he's trying to differentiate them with the bandanas which has also been tried historically but it's it's never a favorite thing of mine that they try to do no me either i mean it works i mean it wasn't it wasn't bad in this. It just took me a little bit to mm-hmm. um, get used to it. And the professor's kind of going on. And then it goes, then it cuts back to the past and it shows uh, some samurai or, or told to kill everyone in this town, women, men, children. It didn't matter. And you have one of the samurai who doesn't agree with it, who I think is Rakusaki's father, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, who doesn't so agree got, with what they're doing. We, we got, uh, yeah, Maji, uh, yes. Maji, which is, Kind of, I don't want to say a good guy, but him and Masato are actually, they they were what is best for the Foot Clan. And it's Takeshi that then and many 150 years later or so <laughs> causes all the issues with the <laughs> Foot Clan. Because the, the, when you think about it, the Oroku line, when you, when you start with Maji, is actually not a, I don't want to say a benevolent line, but a, an honorable line. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and after that, it gets corrupted. And you find out why in this little thing, like this little miniseries, you find out it makes sense. It really does a good job of... It also got me super, super interested to read more. So that was impressive. <laughs> like you see them... Um, so and when they're doing this and the town's burning, you see a, you see a, a, a fox demon that they see. And then you also see uh, Takeshi, or whatever his name is, coming up to like the leader of this town and says, well, if you would have worked with us, you know... You might have not died, and that's when you see the fox turn into a woman. And mm-hmm. when Maji and them realize that, it's real. I bet that's the point where you were like a genome soldier and just had the question mark above your head. Like, what is this about? <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> a lot of Metal Gear references this episode. <laughs> Weirdly <laughs> enough, huh? So. <laughs> yeah, you did start it. And then you have you you have you know you have them. The turtles are in a van with April, and then driving back. And you have a small scene where. Karai is sent to go meet the professor, but she meets him dressed up in business attire. She has like tights on, a skirt, a business skirt, and everything. I thought that was really cool. Where she gives him a card that says something about, you know, has some like professional name for their organization. Yeah. <laughs> like a Saki Incorporated or something, or Raku, like, <laughs> uh, not what you think it is. Yeah, this guy, but, with as much knowledge as the Foot Clan as, as he has, he's like completely like clueless. Yeah. Well, again, it makes sense. You would you wouldn't think that this thing still exists after all these years. Yeah, he he completely thought the Foot Clan was no longer in modern day. I mean, who the hell? Like, I know when I first started reading this, I wasn't. I mean, the the, the whole arc, the whole story. I was not expecting this to be a 
you know, time traveling story where the turtles are are from the are from the feudal Japan, and, so, and it's the same shredder. I was not expecting any of that, so I get where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the turtles recognize that it's no, not yet. And then turtle, and you have a small scene of Splinter telling them about Kitsune and how they killed uh, Takeshi. Because the whole thing is Takeshi had been in power for like over 100 years because he kept once a month he would do a ritual where he would go to his hut and come out after a couple of days and then be, you know, refreshed. And they spied on him and realized that he was drinking some kind of green goo. The ooze was brought to him and that would revitalize him every month. And he would turn and back they, to a young man. And they tied it to the witch getting it from her demon. <laughs> demon, overlord. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's quote demon. <laughs> That reveal was something else, too, which is almost there, but mm-hmm. not our issue. But well, <laughs> like the whole then you have them, they 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 attack him. And it was Araku Saki's father that ends up killing Takeshi. And I think that's really cool. And then you have it, you know, the turtles talking some more. You jump to the professor and he has a board set up with like the pins and the strings tied everywhere. That look like, you know, the conspiracy theory thing on his, yep. in, his in his apartment. <laughs> And I really love the two panels where one, you have him looking at the board, you see ninjas in the background of the window and he turns around and the ninjas are gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think it's, and this is where you have the Karai talking to Shredder where she tells him that she delivered the invitation and they'll, they're talking about how they're going to allow him to live. If he cooperates. They'll just kill him. And then the last couple pages, what got me really interested is you see Kitsune or Kitsune go to some temple, which is not a temple, but goes to like where the demon comes from. And, Praise the demon, and then the gate opens up, and it's an Utram in a fucking power armor comes out. Again, kind of a throwback to the original 80s design. Yep. And he looks <laughs> vicious as hell in that thing. Everything is so aggressive in this comic. <laughs> in God, this case, but... it makes sense. Not so much with the turtles. They don't have to look that damn aggressive. But, but the Utram, I think they, they made them look demonic. I think they did a good job. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, people of that time would associate that kind of power, that technology... With a demon, not with an alien. Yep, makes sense. it makes sense. Because at that time, I don't think as a people we could even fathom that there'd be you know extra dimensions, dimensional being things like that. So a demon just makes sense. I will say that uh, as a side note here, we we talked about this before. Donatello's skepticism with anything mystical or magic. He's he continues that on in this comic, it's like midway through the comic, and he's learning like Splinter's explaining what the deal is with Kitsune. And how she can transform, and Donatello's already rolling his eyes, like, "Oh, I, come on, stop with this magic garbage." And but I mean, that still gets challenged as we go along with we when we see Michelangelo's ability to do what he does later on in the comic as well. So I like they keep that theme going with Donatello, and that is going to be an ongoing theme until much later on when there is a very Donatello-centric storyline that you're. I'm, I think you're going to actually really love, but we'll see when we get there. Okay. You're probably right. <laughs> so pay attention to that. When you go through these issues, keep paying attention, uh, paying attention to that skepticism of his and where that's going to lead later on. Okay. I will. And it does help that I've been, I read all this stuff twice before we record. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's help. Me pay attention. That's all. That's how much I've been into the series. So, which is not what I expect. All right. And then it brings us to issue, issue two of the secret history. And just the cover got me interested where half the cover is, you know, it looks like, you know, it looks like, Shredder in, in his, you know, Japanese gear with the with the demon in the bottom half is the turtles fighting on a van in a tunnel with ninjas on top of a limo. And I'm like, I don't know what's coming, but I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then April's, face looks, cover. April's face looks better, I must say. 
Yeah, somebody must have complained and like, hey, we gotta we gotta change this here. Yeah, because you have another side angle of her and it doesn't look terrible and make me want to throw the comic away. So I was happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't reading a physical comic, so I couldn't have thrown it away, nor would I. But... Throw your monitor. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah! just chuck it across. Well, actually, it was a tab. I was reading this on. Thank mm-hmm. you. Tab- hey, tablets are the best way to read digital comics, yeah. especially when you're reading it on questionable websites. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, re- the website we use is questionable, but it works. So then you, you have them where they're going to go follow up on the professor. You see they Leo spots Karai talking to the professor and puts it, you know, puts soon together very quickly that either he's working with them or they're trying to get him to work with them. So and I like it when they're they're in the limo together. They're not talking to him and he's just making jokes. And then they recognize the van that, that April's driving. And all of a sudden, the guys in the suits that are next to him, like the next panel are pretty much they're changing out of clothes and now they're in ninja gear all of a sudden. Well, yeah, you got to think, too, like this this professor has never seen anything like this. Like This is the closest thing. He's probably assuming it might be like a Yakuza yeah. kind of operation here in the U.S. or something like that. Like he's he doesn't know what to think or expect. He definitely doesn't think they're foot. So he he's not taking it as a joke, but not definitely not as seriously as he should. <laughs> He does not expect what's coming. Yeah, he doesn't know at this point. This is really life or death for him and anybody else involved. Mm-hmm. And it's so and damn cool, though. What what gets me, like when you brought up the, the van here, if Cry and, and the organization are, are familiar with that dumpy prototype turtle van, <laughs> <laughs> why are they bothering following them in that thing? Maybe they don't know. I'm guessing not. I I was thinking like, well, I was going to ask you about it because I know you read the series up to this point. at least. The van isn't nothing with them. Maybe when they escape from Shredder, the one time they do in the Shadows of the Past arc. But nothing, nothing jumped out at me where I recognized where I remember the van being playing a part. And I read this whole series twice now. So and nothing jumped out at me. So I don't I don't know. I'm assuming they just know what it is. They're probably were, you know, keeping track of what the turtle, you know, to a degree what the turtles are up to. I mean, they obviously don't know a lot about the turtles, but I mean, they know some. Not enough for them to be consistent threat just yet, I guess. Yeah, they don't know where the turtles hide. They don't know anything of that nature. That's made very obvious throughout this, that they're not aware. They're, yeah, their their aspirations have almost nothing to do with the turtles. It's it's They have so much like on their plate that they're trying to strive for that the turtles just get in their way and they become an annoyance. Yeah. Turtles are not what they're up to or care about. <laughs> and then, like, so they follow they follow the limo into a tunnel. And this is just a couple great pages of them just fighting in the fucking tunnel. Just you see a, pa- a panel where Ra- 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 Raphael is jumping off a, the van and <laughs> foot soldiers jumping with a spear. And I'm just like, God, that's cool. And yeah, they're they, killing people. Yeah, they're, that's the thing. And I've noticed, and especially in the, the Foot Clan issues, they really use their weapons. See some people get messed up pretty bad oh yeah they're they're murder i mean the turtles are murdering people in this it isn't like they're just you know like oh we better hit them with yo-yos no they're actually taking out people and one thing i thought was interesting is that they should have been more upset when the van the van crashes and april's not that upset <laughs> yeah she's not like, and that's her only form of transportation yeah I'd, I'd be a little upset if all of a sudden my van just got you know crashed and like what are you going to say to your insurance company? Well, we were fighting ninjas. Right. Yeah. She, she doesn't even really make a comment about it. Like it's just, no, it just happened and it's still operational. So whatever. And I, I realize that the stakes are pretty, or getting higher and higher at this point, but you should probably care about your only transportation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yes, yes, you should. That's how I felt too. I just I found it very very humorous to me. And it, the whole reason why the, the van crashes because Karai shoots a tire with an arrow. You have uh, Raphael throw a shuriken at the at the briefcase of the doctor or the professor that has a tracker in it, which is obvious, but they don't notice. I I, I felt like they could have made it more conspicuous because that's almost too noticeable. It's glowing bright green. I'm guessing it's not making noise, but I mean, somebody didn't, nobody noticed that poking out of that briefcase. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, apparently not. But yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like you really should. (laughs) Yeah. You really should be able to notice that. Like I thought that was weird that they didn't notice that. Yeah. It's it's kind of obvious. It was cool. Like it does make for a really good scene. So I, I get it in that aspect of it. It's, it's a little odd how obvious it is and not noticed, but Hey, comics, comics. (laughs) And then they, they put the tracker yeah, in, so I mean, they, fo- they follow him. The professor is first meets Shredder for the first time. And this is when I think he realizes, you know, he's <laughs> when they pull out a briefcase of money, he realizes, oh, what, what am I getting myself into? Yeah. And that's what I think makes it such a good scene. And why does Shredder have <laughs> white eyes sometimes and other times? Doesn't? I don't know. I mean, just think about the like other superhero comics where, you know, like Batman has white eyes with the mask on. I mean, I just think it's something like that it makes him look more defiance more stand okay. out more you know it's, it's just a cosmetic thing okay i thought maybe it was part like, of his mask no he... no I, it's just more of a cosmetic thing i think just that the artists like to throw in there for him it does make him look more menacing yeah i mean it also fits the fact that this guy you know is dead essentially was dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's it, you know everything goes along with him like it, it fits yeah, and again, it makes him look like a pure badass. Like he looks menacing as hell like that. He does, and he this this shredder is really, really good shredder in this comic. He is ruthless. I do. I really love this iteration of shredder. And I will tell you this: like when I try to, sometimes I try to imagine the voices, like other characters, as I read this stuff, and I always hear the shredder's voice from the '90s movie. Okay, just you like just that imagine. I love that movie, but just imagine his voice connected to this version and just how like the way he speaks to cry in, in, in that voice for example it's it makes it so much better for me okay i also really like cry in general I, I she's definitely growing on me after watching all the recaps of the 2003 cartoon and then reading this has definitely got me interested you will see a lot of cry so okay. right now she's playing kind of in a way a backseat role but uh you'll see later on just how much uh she's incorporated into the, the main story arc okay i'm definitely up for that and then they also get the professor some some chest that has a book, some really old book that they kept for some that they have that's important. That and then it, it jumps back to the past. And I thought this was a really interesting scene where you have Uraku Saki as a kid, and they're showing him different different items to have him pick. And he's like, "Well, I wrote." And he picks up the book. I wrote. I made this. And he picks up and said, "This was mine, and this was mine." Where they figure out that because when they kill Takashi, Kitsune tells them that you know he'll. He'll be revi- he'll revive his spirit will go into another body. And this is also what the Buddha monks do with the the Dalai Lama, that the way they choose the Dalai Lama is they have him look at items of his. And if he picks the right one, then that kid is the Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool to have they incorporated, you know, this into the comic here. Yeah, it was nice. And it's, it's not just the turtles are being reincarnated. Uh, also, Shredder, to an extent, even before they had that opportunity to do so. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. And you see how upset his father gets, which again, his father's the one that killed <laughs> Takeshi. And I love how they're like, well, you know, you can you can change his destiny. You can love him. You can be a good father and you can 
stop this from happening? And my guess is he wasn't a good father. I don't know. I, it's hard to say because they don't really show too much about the, the relationship of Maji and, and uh, Roku. I mean, or I mean Saki here. So you got to think what went wrong. Was it always just Takashi being in that body and being reincarnated that he was always meant to follow that path and be evil and, and do what he was going to do? Or did Maji fail? I mean, Maji seems like a good guy. It seems like the Foot Clan at this time was was in a good place where they weren't malevolent. So it's hard to really say if Maji really, you know, failed his son. Maybe he was just always destined to be that way. Yeah. And there were the small setup. Like, you have a part in here where you see, you know, Shredder and then Splinter, you know, both in human forms. And Shredder goes after uh, Splinter's, you know, soon-to-be wife or his wife. I'm not sure at this point. And, or, you know, tries to hit on her and she and she slaps him. So he's about to, you know, punch her, which, again, fits the era of what would happen. So <laughs> it all fits. And then you have him being angry and then they give both him and Splinter the same position in the clan. And he just gets pissed off. And that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then this is where he really gets corrupt, corrupted, where Kitsune shows up and then tells him about some book that's hidden in the floor which is what, you know, again, he feels like his father betrayed him because his father didn't tell me he had it, even though it was there or Kitsune put it there. I don't know which one, how that's supposed to work. But Kitsune is, you know, seeding is starting to sow the seeds of betrayal. I think uh, Maji put it there to hide it. And uh, Kitsune knew or found out where it was and relayed that information to Saki. OK, she's a whole lot of trouble. You have no idea just how much. You are right. Uh, I actually have no idea where I have, because I did not read the next arc on purpose yet. You, it'll go, I I think it's even beyond that arc, where they show her two origins and what she is a part of. I know some of the listeners, I'm sure, will know what I'm talking about here, but she comes from much deeper roots than than what you can imagine. Okay. I'm definitely interested in seeing where stuff goes, because I've been reading... I've been reading, but I look, you know, I look at the TMT thing and I can see all the different issues and I'm just, just so excited to read more. <laughs> I do want to say this, uh, since we're on the topic of the book also, look at the colors of the book and what it looks like. What, this book? The the History of the Foot Clan book. Oh, it's purple and black. So it's it's got the, the original colors of the foot, the, the foot soldiers from the <laughs> 7 cartoon. I, I, I love how much on purpose. 100%. I love how much inspiration they draw from the 87 cartoon, but make it work in not the kiddest, stupidest way possible. That's well, great. Oh, yeah. They, they they evolved it the right way for, for guys like us that obviously are old as shit now. I can really appreciate <laughs> a good storyline backing those original concepts. Mm-hmm. Like one thing I'm really excited for, which I know is in here, but not for a bit. I'm really is not so after 50. I can't wait to see Leatherhead. <laughs> so, I really okay, like that yeah. character. Interesting, yeah. He, um, I'll, I'll say this it doesn't really spoil much, but he has his arc is tied to Krang. Okay, deeply, but we'll we'll leave it at that. I figured. I mean, ooze. Yeah, that all makes sense. But so <laughs> back to this. After you you see him seeing the book, you see them fixing the tire on the van. How they waited for Donatello to show up to fix it, which I thought was funny. <laughs> you know, they don't they just they don't want it. They're like, he's like, you could do it yourself. They're like, yeah, we're waiting for you. <laughs> and they also mention his does machines screen name, <laughs> which is from the the micro the the Donatello micro series issue, which well, I read too. It, it, it predates that when you go to the theme song from the eighty seven. Oh, episode. Donatello does machines. Yep. Okay. Wow. It's funny how that song I I didn't pull up YouTube. It was just it was just in my head. Unfortunately, still somewhere. <laughs> oh, it's never gonna leave. So get used to that. 
And then you you get a really good uh, couple like page of them being ninjas. You see them climbing up a building to go get the professor back. <laughs> I like how you have Casey and April taking the elevator up, and they're wearing you know Casey's wearing his hockey equipment and everything, and then. They get upstairs and they just see the turtles just having a big fight with the with the foot. And there's blood in these panels too. Like you see blood, you know. Well, and Splinter's this is fighting what too. I'm talking about this is exactly what I was talking about. When these guys are using their weapons, you see guys getting knocked in their chin. Michelangelo hits a guy in his nuts with his nunchaku. <laughs> it, it's getting pretty real in there. It's 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 a fight for sure. Yeah, I mean, and they're killing people too, which yeah. is getting nice to see because that's what I mean. The Mirage turtles are not nice. As the Turtles Forever movie kind of showed, too, they are not nice. <laughs> they are not. So it, it's cool to kind of see that they're going back to the root very much with that. And you get to see them all fighting. You see Shredder get just pissed off when he finds out that they put the tracker was on there and Karai didn't catch that. And he smacks the shit out of her. And, yep. what, you know, it, it makes sense. What I am surprised about is that somebody didn't get more punished for what happened here. That is one of the biggest F-ups that her team can pull uh, under her lead, and all she got was a slap? That is, like, the luckiest thing. Yeah, you think she would have been murdered or somebody would have been murdered. Tortured, murdered, especially. Somebody probably should have died. Well, I mean, maybe the guy that was responsible got killed by the (laughs) turtles when they're fighting, so... (laughs) Yeah, right, it was a punishment enough. (laughs) And I I love how you have have Alopex here again, which you, you see briefly earlier in this, and the the shredders are in the in the shredder arc that we talked about you see you see her here and there and then this is all where she's in charge of taking the book and the professor and then you have shredder walks out into the lobby and you just have one big page of shredder casey everyone in the turtles just fighting foot soldiers just in this room it is so cool i, <laughs> I like that it. that like it's almost like a camera view of what's yeah, going on it's I like how they they portrayed that i did too i i was like this is a really cool real cool image and this brings us to the third, the third issue, which again I was I was fully on board at, at, on this at this point. So, and here's April, uh, April on the cover. She has her frog eyes again, but not as bad. <laughs> it's eyes. not as bad, but it does look sloppy. I just do not like the way they draw that. And and this guy's just not good at drawing women. I don't know, but <laughs> that happens. In one of the Star well, Wars comics we read, I think it was Dark Force Rising Your Heir of the Empire could not draw Leia for the life of him. They look oh, terrible. Sucks, yeah. I, was, I was not happy. I was like, but so it happens. And then in this comic you have where they he opens the, the Rakusaki's father opens the box and finds the book is gone and realizes that, you know, his son Kitsune had gotten to his son and that he had left. And then he sent ninjas after him, which is kind of, I think, what also draws the issue, because at first, you know, Shredders and think much about it. And then they they, they cut his eye. And they make the comment, we were told to try not to kill him. And then he takes it as they were sent to kill him. Yeah, I and, think that, that one foot soldier that speaks up and said, try not to kill him. The guy, his intent was like, I want to kill this guy. That that was yeah. his intent. Because, I mean, if it, if he was to die, he was to die. It is what it is. But, yeah, that guy, his intent was that. And it just made, it threw Shredder over the edge. These guys are going to die regardless, I'm sure. But that really <laughs> fired us. Yeah, no, that that really did it. And again, Kitsune, like any good manipulator, takes advantage of this. After, you know, they try to kill Shredder, even, she says, your father betrayed us all and uses that, you know, as the way to, you know, to do that, to, you know, because any good manipulator, they need something to use as a tool. And they gave it to him. They gave it to her. Yep. 
And and think about this. So the way you're describing it is she's playing a game. Like she's manipulating. That's usually what manipulation is, right? You're playing a game yeah. with people or a person. That statement that I just said, she's playing a game, goes much deeper. Okay. She's, she's got way more ambition than you can imagine at this point. Okay. I'm excited to read more. I <laughs> really am. And then it. And then it jumps back to present day, and you have them fighting, the turtles fighting, and you have Karai sent, like, a bunch of arrows at him, which I thought was really cool, and you get to see Leo and Raphael, like, deflect arrows with their weapons. I like that. And in this, in the, in this arc, they actually pair Leo and Raph up a lot, and a lot of people always yeah. say, like, the A team and the B team with these two, and then Donnie and Mike are the, the B team or whatever. I think in this case, especially, I think, in the last issue of this, Leo's, like, pairs himself with Raph. Like you see it, you see Leo, and this is, I think, a cool thing too, where Leo's like calling the shots mid-fight. Like he's he's telling these guys what to do. They're following his orders. They're not really questioning them, uh, and they're getting through everything. So I really like that they pushed the leader aspect of Leo in Same. his arc more. But besides that, like when Leo's like calls on Raph to help him out with a certain situation and have the the other guys handle what they handle, I think it's more of a, a reflection that um, Leo and Raph are, are known, and I think it's undisputable that they are the better fighters of the two. So they're going to handle the up-close, like, gritty stuff while the other two help out the team as needed in another way. Okay, that's a good way to put it. That's cool. I, I did laugh when Mikey's like, we need a we need a battle cry so no one is confused. And they're like, shut up, Mikey. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I don't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> he covered his mouth, too. <laughs> it's funny. Mm. Uh, it, it's so good. And then Casey and April are like, oh, we're going to run in this room and go get the professor. There'll be nobody there. And they find Alopex in a whole hallway full of foot soldiers. Yep, he needs a bigger bat. He just runs out. They run away. He's like, I gotta go. Uh, it was good. And then you you have Donatello and Mikey go in there and just start beating the shit out of people. Look at look at that panel where it's it's the bow staff right between Casey and April. And it's where he hits him in the face. Get out of that guy's like nose and mouth. Oh, he's done. <laughs> he might not be dead, but okay, if it's hitting the nose that hard, there's a good chance that they pushed the nose, you know, broke his nose and pushed it into his brain. He's dead. I mean, he could be. And if if the guy's not dead, he's gonna be out for a very long time. <laughs> he's done fighting. <laughs> oh, it, it's so well done. It's so cool to see them being violent, and you see Alopex a bunch in this, which I thought was cool because you don't you don't get a lot of her. In this, she's, I mean, she's a little bit in the Shredder arc, Shadows of the Past, but she's not big into that arc. You have her in the Raphael miniseries, but you have a lot of her in here kind of fighting them, which I, I like. And I know she has yeah. more stuff coming up soon, too. Oh, she's big time. But the thing with Alopex in this and what I really like, this is almost, in a way, some of the peak work with Alopex. She is, like, not only violent, but almost scary horrifying yeah. to look at like she's she seems like a like a horror movie like monster in a way <laughs> that they they portray her in this and and it, it, it's effective i think okay i would agree 100 percent. i didn't really think about it you pointed out but you as i'm looking at the panels you are right she does look kind of very much like that mm -hmm. and you Especially have them the card kind of thing that's good that's coming up i mean it's oh yeah shows there. yeah she she definitely looks like a monster at times and this is where you have April and Casey you're trying to get Professor to come with them. I, mean, I think he does, but he doesn't want to. You have Shredder comes into the fight, and you have Splinter fighting Shredder, which I, I really like, too. I love it. Here's one panel that I want to point out before we continue. Yes. We have the big mountain of foot soldiers and Leo, Karai, and Raph in that panel. And it shows Leo and, and Karai, even though she's insulting Leo throughout this whole encounter, and then uh, Raph's like, oh, I think she likes you. 
but they're they're almost evenly mad to the, and that point is like the climax of them just kind of like their their skills like bouncing off one another in that panel that leo second in command thing that shredder wants this is one reason why because not only is he kind of evenly matched with karai but he's quite possibly more capable and that's why they keep showing karai making the mistakes like with the the transmitter and all that kind of stuff more foreshadowing yeah a lot of it is. <laughs> it's it's all good and then you have another flashback that kind of shows where oraku had woke up when kitsune had rescued him and then he ends up exhaling or inhaling i should say uh, all the the fumes of the ooze and kind of, and realizes like what who takeshi was and what takeshi does and he sees all that and this is i guess this is where he realized that he is T- takeshi reborn now he has actual memories and visions to to back up that yeah no matter what he might have read i mean now he can actually see it and be familiar with it and then you have more pages of the fight with the turtles and and you know they're trying to get out they're trying to get the professor out they're fighting alipax and i like it where leo comes out and he's like raphael's right behind me and you just see him bang down the door with fighting alipax yep yep that was pretty cool <laughs> and then raphael steals some guy's motorcycle That's you know funny. and I, oh before that uh, yes like we have karai again insulting leo cutting him on his shoulder and that guy roundhouse is the shit out of karai like she uh, karai takes some abuse <laughs> Yeah, she does in this. To where she look at her her body like ragdolls. That's how hard she gets to. And this is a giant mutant turtle. I'm sure this this isn't easy to take. And not at all. I don't care how skilled you are. It's gonna hurt. (laughs) Fucking. I mean, it's a it's a giant turtle. Yep. It's a teenage mutant ninja turtle. What's a giant turtle? And I'm and the turtles are known to have a a fair amount of superhuman strength as well. I don't think they're they're not lifting up cars or anything, but they're stronger than. Probably some Olympic athletes. I mean, they, it's going to hurt. Yeah, this is going to be a pleasant little pink. You're fine. And then you see Alapex, like you said, it, Raphael burst through the door. Alapex being pretty much an apex predator, she's almost meant to be, and, and hunting them down. And, and like you said with the motorcycle, like I, I felt it was so completely unnecessary for them to throw it in here. But the ultimate goal i think of the the artists and the writers they just wanted to see raf on a bike because it's cool as shit I mean, <laughs> how can we just get a bike in here and have raf on it uh, but it also works i mean the van drives off alapex throws him and the whole thing is he's like well i gotta catch up so the, the guy runs you know the guy sees him and run drops his bike and runs so he just takes it yeah <laughs> so, it's not the first cool. time in the series raf has been on a bike though so i mean it's it's also kind of a throwback to Mirage. Okay. And, and to, also to your point with Karai, because right before Karai gets kicked, she ends up slashing Leo because <laughs> she takes it personal because Shredder tells her that you're not my second command, Leo will be. And we talked about before mm-hmm. how the hell he's going to make that happen. I don't know, but that's why Karai hates him so much. Yep. And it's cool that they keep doing that. And then Alopex the runs after the van. And then like you were talking about earlier, the part where she breaks, you see the couple, like two pa- panels where she busts through the window and goes to grab the book, and it does look like a horror. It does like a horror movie. The way that they drew her face and everything. Yep, I love every every bit of that. Now you got to think too. Like if you try to, like I tr- I try to have sound, and like I told you before, in my head with this kind of stuff. So just imagine what Alopex's like voice might sound like at this time. Because what do foxes normally sound like? They have this high pitched kind of yelping kind of sound that they make. Okay. Imagine her screaming that with such a high pitched yelping sound as she's trying to rip through this window, and just how horrifying that might sound as she's doing. Look at the faces That's of fair. Michelangelo and Donnie. Like, like, what the fuck? Can you imagine the sound <laughs> they hear when she's doing that? 
I get where you're coming from. Yeah, that would be a kind of a very scary thing happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. And then you, the the way that they get her off the van is Raphael throws a, a hel- the helmet that he had from the biker at her and it knocks yeah. her off. Great name. <laughs> uh, and he says, see you later, sweetheart. <laughs> I usually don't like Roth that, Raphael that much and stuff, but this has made me like him a lot more in this comic. Good. <laughs> so, and then they, they get the professor in the van and, and the professor meet Splinter and everything, right? He might have already seen him before, and I think they tell him that, you know, they're just taking him with them because they don't trust Splinter, you know, they don't trust Shredder, and then you have all that happening. And then the last couple panels are, it shows Arakusaki where he goes back to the Foot Clan, he kills the, the leader, he kills his father, is what the last thing you see. And I, I thought that was all very, very cool. So, and then this brings us to the last issue <laughs> of this little arc, which I. Okay, I got to talk about this cover. The cover, the top part is Shredder, kind of like the Shredder helmet, Kitsune, the Utram, and then the bottom half is the Turtle, Splinter, and April, Casey Jones, and the Doc, and the Professor all standing there ready to fight. It's a really cool cover. There are some great fucking covers in this TMT thing. Like, I mean, and when I saw that cover, I got excited, too. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to, you know, more Utram stuff, because I was really, like, wanted to see more of this, because I think last time we talked, you had made a comment, like, oh, they, they know of each other. And then you left it at that because you didn't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was going to be literally the next thing we were going to read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do. And then it start. this issue starts off where you, you, Iraku has a funeral for his father and saying that he's going to take over and they're going to find the people who killed his father, even though, you know, it's him. <laughs> so I like that. And that's kind of, I think, all it shows at this part. It doesn't really show because, again, when Splinter, you know, gets mad at him and storms out, that happens later and not yet. Mm hmm. <laughs> so I think it's cool. Then you have uh, the turtles in April. They're at a bar because they didn't know where to go. They didn't want to bring him home, which makes sense. So what they do, they bring him to a bar that Casey knew someone says, hey, I, I, I made a deal with the guy that you know, we can't trash the bar. <laughs> or he'll never let me do this again. It's funny. And they're like, well, as long as we don't break the and walls, Casey's, you won't even notice. Casey's rather young, too. I mean, because he's still what at this point, like a high school student. I think he's college. So, I want to say early college. Is he? Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you're right. Okay, so I mean, there's a chance he could be 21, but if not, you got to deal with uh, how do how does he know a bar owner to where he can like have them cleared out? But you got to think his dad is such a drunk and known in the neighborhood and, and this and that, so he probably works them out that way to where he can have those kind of connections. I spend enough money at the bar, so father does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm getting at. But they're at the bar, professor, doubting the legitimacy of the, the claim of reincarnation with the turtles. I mean, as most minds like him and even Donatello himself tend to do until Mikey sits here and starts reciting stuff and has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> that was so cool. How he reads the book the, in Japanese. They're like, you just read Japanese. He's like, I did. It's like, I'm playing yeah. a video game. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Look at the next <laughs> panel. Like all of their faces. I cannot do it. <laughs> I love that. I just love, I, mean, I just love what he says. Like, he's like, Oh, it's like, I'm a, I'm a He's like, I'm a new player, same game, or something like that, he says. Or same player, new game. So his biggest revelation after that is like, oh, I can read so much more manga now. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, pure innocence, man. <laughs> I look at his face, too. Like, when they, the, the, like, Donnie and the professor are looking at the, the Foot Clan book and they're verifying that. He just looks so proud Japanese. behind them. He, it's just a smug look on his face. <laughs> Oh, here you go. I can be a superhero plumber or a robot pilot in a game, but I'm still myself behind the controls. With this, it's like my soul is playing the game, and it just switched up between a little kid in Japan and a turtle in New York. That analogy <laughs> came dangerously close to being logical, Mikey. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> and we know what superhero plumber he's talking about. Yes. 
I, I really enjoy that. I, I thought that was about the robot pilot, but you know, uh, it's so cool. And then you have Shredder comes out to the bar and threatens them, like you know, come out here. And then Splinter remembers, oh, he did this before. He's gonna send people in from behind and try to kill us. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and I like how the professor's like, oh, how'd you? How did you know? He's like, it's not knowing; it is remembering. You know, and it's it's good. This is where you see April kind of stand out too, where the professor tries to take the book and just you know run away back to the Shredder. And April just decks her. He's like, what are you going to do about it? And he just decks her in the face. She, or yeah, she just decks guy, her in the face. This guy is like neck almost at a 180. <laughs> if you look at that panel. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like she damn near broke his neck with that pun. She is doing self-defense classes with, with Casey. Oh, which is talking about how they first meet. Yeah. Which leads to her meeting the turtles and all that. But then the professor runs out the door, runs back to Shredder. And he doesn't have the book. So Shredder's just, you know, pissed at him. And then you have... Another really good scene where Splinter goes out to fight Shredder and he's fighting him. And that's when Shredder realizes it's a distraction that the turtles are escaping out the back. And he sends Karai yeah. and Alapex to go get him. And it again, doesn't more take fighting for him to, to realize, oh, shit, I know what he's up to. <laughs> and this, this is where you see Splinter almost kill Shredder. He's going to kill him if he can. Like he makes he even his comment. When he has Shredder on the ground, he says, I will no longer allow you to dictate the terms of our conflict. Iraku Saki, my family, will end your cycle of destruction this time. We And then they're distracted by the police because April calls the police on them. He he definitely is has like realized that that's the only way out of this conflict. As, as much of a pacifist as Splinter has become, he realizes what's necessary and what needs to be done to, to finally them. rid them. They got like what, what, what other way can it end? Yeah, there's no prison. He'll probably get out anyway. There is enough connections. And I thought this was cool that the police are called and they're like, oh, shit, we got to go. And you see Shredder in a car and they're and with some foot driving. And they're just leaving Kar- and they're just leaving Karai. And I, I really like that because I felt like it makes them fit more into the real world than we've ever seen before. I mean, we've never seen Shredder right, that, in a car before. Really. That, that there are. Well, besides that, just the, the threat of what the cops can bring to the Foot Clan and everything that's going on. It's like, all right. We do have some boundaries we have to live within. Yeah. And they don't want to be caught by the police because then you have a lot more explaining to do. Yep. Just further <laughs> complicates things, obviously. So. I, I was just really cool to see because it wasn't, I didn't expect that. I, I really like that. I, I, and he leaves Karai. Like, Karai will find her own way back. You she, know, she's so I, capable enough. I mean, she makes dumb mistakes here and there, but she, she's capable enough and he knows it. And I do like what they do with the book where Splinter's like, I don't know what, you know, because they're missing a bunch of pages. He just burns the book. He's like, Shredder wants it. It must be important to him. So he just destroys it. Right. Well, they, they cover what the contents are of the book. And it's like, like he says, mostly memories, like a diary. All it, all its purpose primarily is, is just to remind Saki of his past life with Takeshi. You know, just uh, and, and other information like Kitsune, for example, if that information's in there. And they, they, they don't know that's what they're preventing. But that's one reason Shredder wants it. Okay. Because his whole thing in this also is he's trying to find where Kitsune went while he was sleeping. Right. Okay. Because yeah, because soon they, it goes. They both, they both went through the the immortal way of of being in this uh, modern time, which I, I like. I think all that's really good. The way that when she... you when you get into and well, maybe we'll cover this as time goes on, but you'll see later on that it looks like Kinsune went through the same process that he did. Yeah. As far as like you know, killing herself and going that's through the generation. That's how I took it. You see her, you know, later on, we'll, we'll get to that, but you see that and it's like, well, did she need to do that? Like to me, because I know really where her origins come from and you'll see, and then we'll have this conversation. We'll continue it when that, when that time comes. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. 
I'm always I'm completely on board to see the read more. So completely on board. And then so they burn the book. The last pages you have or the last page, you have the professor Karai and Shredder and, you know, him telling the professor that he has to help him you know, or he'll pretty much kill him. <laughs> yeah, there's, so, there's it's, yeah. I mean, it, his reward is from Shredder's mouth. Immortality. immortality. It's like, yeah, or you die. So it's like you got a really possibly good incentive if you like to live forever. There it is. You got the incentive, but if you fail, there's another incentive. You don't die. <laughs> I think he has to. Re- I mean, the whole point of what Shredder's up to is he's trying to find the grave of Kisune and where she went, and that's why he wanted the professor. That's why he wanted the book and everything he was actually up to. Right. And then the last page or a couple pages. So the next couple pages show like where Shredder is in his full his full gear back in the in the past, Pedro Japan, and they go and Kisune goes to the demon portal and to get ooze, and the Uchan comes out with a giant thing of ooze, and then they they they, they cover him with arrows, with flaming arrows to kill him. <laughs> I really like that. I like how they just just to kill the Uchan and take the <laughs> ooze and then kick him back in the portal and destroy the portal. You got to think of what that means at the time for somebody like Shredder in that era. Like this guy, it's feudal Japan. They really think this thing's a demon, and he, no fear, just went and challenged it and decided to kill it. Like that is, yeah, because they have just, no idea that it's just an alien. Right. That shows you what kind of guy Shredder is. It's a, it's a really cool moment. I definitely liked it. So, and then you, he takes the ooze. You have <clears throat> where this is where Kasune tells him that in order to do what. He's destined to do. He has to drink a bunch of the ooze and then commit. Uh, God, what the hell is that called again? Oh, Harry. Harry Isn't that what Colonel says in Metal Gear Solid 2? Harry Carey rocks. I need no, scissors. I think it's it's a little different, but yeah. More Metal Gear for us today. It's that day, I guess. It's a day at Metal Gear. So, <laughs> and then you, you have that. And then I like how you know he commits Harry Carey, and then they, he, they put they they put him in a coffin full of ooze, and then they bury him for years. She tells him that you know someday you know their children will awake him and he'll be remade. It's definitely a cool thing to see. Yep. And then Karai follows up that process with her blood, being that she's the great great granddaughter, and uh, yeah, and revives him. All the images of him being revived and everything that comes along with that. Ah, oh, so damn cool to see. I, I just love the, the image of him standing over this city of light at the, the edge there. And this is this is what he waited a few hundred years for. It's it's a really cool scene. You know, you see what he was waiting for. <laughs> yep. Oh, I love that last panel of him standing there pretty much naked, covered in ooze. And, you know, he sees, his, like you said, a city made of light, which is just a modern day city to us. Yep. So good. This secret history was so damn good. Yeah, it was definitely like I told you before, just so many plot points begin there, get fleshed out a little bit, and very good writing. And this brings us to our last issue we're going to talk about tonight, <clears throat> issue twenty-one. Which I don't think I have a lot. I don't have a lot to say about this. This is just, I guess, mostly a lead up to what's coming. I think, right? So I guess there's one. There's one way to look at it, and I remember you told me you weren't the biggest fan about it, and and I figured I didn't really remember what it was until you know I finally read it again. And I was like, oh, it's this one. I, I kind of figured it was going to be this one. But it's, think of it not as a filler, but look at what we just dealt with, right? It's a more of a transitional piece where we dealt with a lot of heavy storytelling. They needed to hit the brakes a little bit, slow it down, allow not only the characters to recalibrate, but 
also the readers and and let us breathe for a minute before it starts to ramp up again. Okay. So that's kind of the way I took it. That's a good way to look at it. It's kind of throwaway. I, I don't I don't disagree with you. It's not my favorite issue at all. But I think that's the role it plays. And the last like pages alone are really where the story matters. Yeah, because I mean, mostly it's just the turtles being the turtles that <laughs> get confronted by some guy with a mask, a clown mask on that looks like a mute, you know, a mutant animal, and uses different fighting styles, beast the shit out of them. <laughs> it breaks their weapons, at least some of their weapons. It breaks Leo. He breaks Leo's sword at the end, and he breaks uh, Donatello's <laughs> bow staff early on. And really, they just, they just chase after him. They talk about the French ninjas because he uses the French style of fighting at one point. He switches up. They follow him into the sewers, and he just keeps beating the shit out of them. And he keeps so, talking so about what, their master sucks. Yeah. And, and I was kind of confused at how this character might, like, know some of these forms of fighting styles. I mean, this kind of that kind of predates, I, I, I think, like that, that uh, Filipino style. Doesn't that predate? Like when he was alive, or if it doesn't, like I'm not sure. Really on familiar that. With? I mean, I took it as he could have just learned other things while you know he's training and things. It's, I guess now, you know, I suppose even the French Sabate stuff, like I, I felt like that was almost a stretch for him because that I highly doubt that was around when he was a human. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like I don't know, little little. uh Had some small questions pop up about that. Not enough to really do some digging, but you know, it was it was a it made weird. you think a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. This wasn't. I mean, they follow him in the sewers. They follow him to the church. They just keep fighting him. They keep fighting him, and he keeps insulting Splinter. And then the issue just keeps going. And they finally conf- they confront him, and then he finally reveals that he is Splinter. Mm-hmm. And I just I was just bored with this, and I, I didn't like it that it was Splinter. I, I I wanted. I also the art style of this is different than the normal it's art that, style. It's that Eastman style. Yeah, which I'm not crazy about. Uh, a lot of modern readers are not. Usually, people older than us—that's they can really like really appreciate that. Okay. Um, me, I don't mind it just because it is Eastman, and I, I do like the grittiness of some of the drawings now and then. Like some people can't match that very well, but it does feel dated when you see it. Yeah, and you like Eastman stuff too in general, so I think right. Yeah, I mean it's it's all right as like nice homage to himself, I guess in a way. But <laughs> yeah, it, I I do appreciate better, more modern art styles. Okay. Yeah, it just didn't do it for me. But I, I can I can see. I can see it. So and then they you know, they find out a Splinter. Splinter tells them that he had to do it to test them because things are coming, they have to prepare themselves. And the last couple pages is you see the professor led Splinter to where some coffin is and they dig it up and they find Kasune in Shredder. <laughs> hmm? Shredder. He said Splinter. Oh oops. Sorry. Wrong character. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> uh, but that was it was cool. And the, I had no idea who Kasune was. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, I knew because I read this before I read Secret History of the Foot. So I was very confused. Oh, you kind of skipped it like the mm-hmm. in between. Yeah. Yeah. Then, of course, I read it right afterwards. I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. And then that's the end of the stuff we're reading for today. And then so we'll go to our last segment, Shelf Stacker Box. Um, the way I want to do it is a little di- I'll go first. I have a little plan to do it a little differently since it's different arcs. So for Krang. I'll put it on the shelf. Same with Baxter. I enjoyed both of those a lot. Secret History of the Foot, 100% on the shelf. And then Issue 21 goes in the box because I didn't like it at all. <laughs> so, what about you? Uh, Krang, I guess I, I'd shelf that one. I think it's important to know his origins. And, and uh, I think it was a good statement for, for the Krang character. A lot of development for him. Baxter, I could stack it. You know, I, I wouldn't 
I, I didn't mind it, but I don't know if it was entirely necessary just to see, just to reiterate just how smart the guy is and why. I, I don't, it wasn't as much development as, as Krang. So that's something I could stack. Okay. Secret History of the Foot Clan definitely showed that for sure. I, I would go back and reread that again. I mean, this is my second time going through it, but I would read it again. It's so good. Uh, and then 21, I uh, know that, that would definitely go in a box. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, and that's, and I can't wait. The next arc that we're going to be talking about is City War, I think, right? That's how I keep <laughs> City Fall. Sorry. City War is, I keep getting those two confused. Because <laughs> City War is the 50 stuff that you told me to be excited for. Yes. Too so. bad it's so far away. Hey, we're already at issue 21, and we'll be talking about issue 22 through 28 and a few one, two, three, four, five. It's going to be a big one. So, yeah. Actually, we might break that in two parts. We'll just do City Falls one episode, and then we'll do the Villain Micro Series, Ohab, Alapex, Karai, Han and Bebop, Rocksteady, something else, and Shredder. That's his own thing. You sure? I mean, if it's in chronological order, it might. It, okay, yeah, we can. I mean, if that's a lot of comic, that's all. I, I know what you mean, but <laughs> yeah, no, okay. Well, so next, you will be a big episode in chronological. You could, you could still split it in two if you kept it in chronological. Wouldn't matter. Uh, good point. Okay. We might, we'll see. All right. But yeah, so that's what we next. You get to look forward to hearing us talk about city fall. And if you enjoyed this episode, go check out all our other episodes. I mentioned at the top of this, we do have the other TMT comics. If you haven't listened to those, go listen to those. And we did, we did the TMT movies. We've done a few games. So definitely go check out all our content. We have over 400 episodes on Spotify and iTunes. So check out everything. You can find everything you're looking for on Podbean if you can't find it there. And I'm going to give a shout out to my awesome intro and outro courtesy of Helena at Hell Has Free. You can follow her on TikTok if you want to support the show. We do have a Patreon for those dollars. You can vote in our Patreon polls. Definitely go check that out. We have a Discord. Please join our Discord and chat with us. And I want to give a shout out to my buddy Bill Tucker, who did the MCU movies with me. He started his own podcast, Gamer Looks at 40. You can follow him. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. That's everything I need to say, so we will see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.